Welcome everyone to the Reignite Your Passion podcast. Here is Andrea, and today our guest is Skip Sands. Welcome, Skip. Welcome to me. Welcome to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, how are you today? Oh, life is good. Life is really good. I right. cannot complain. In fact, I can just give gratitude for a lot of the great things that have been happening uh, in my life. And uh, I feel like uh, it's one of those phrases where, and this is out of gratitude. This is not out of like bolster brag because it's not all me. The universe is just being so kind. I feel like everything I touch is like King Midas. Everything wow. I touch turns to gold right now. And wow, oh, that's just, that's an amazing place to be. Yes. An amazing place to be. Beautiful. So what was the great things that happened today then? Oh, the great thing that happened today. Well, a great thing to happen today was your kindness. Because <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was uh, running a bit late and um, I asked to extend 15 minutes and you said, hey, let's do it an hour from now. So That's fine. that gave me time to do some journal writing and get an extra cup of coffee. Beautiful. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I actually love Americano more than espresso. I think that is real coffee, honestly. I've been lived in Ireland for a long time. And and so basically I got used to the espresso. Sorry, to the Americano. And I like it more. Yeah. 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 Yeah, You can it takes it takes more time. I still make it very strong, but you can sip on it, you can enjoy Mm. it. It lasts. Exactly, Whereas, uh, exactly. Like I feel that. like, and, and I take big gulps anyways when I drink something. So, <laughs> so it has to be a big cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah, having a little espresso or a dopio that lasts like, okay, I just paid five dollars for a sip. <laughs> exactly, that's what happened. Anyway, thank you, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I couldn't wait. Honestly, I couldn't wait for this call because you have a very interesting story, and uh, you have a very interesting life full of challenges. That I'm sure that create the person that you are, the coach that you are, etc. But you know, tell us a little bit about you. You can start whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know, I know there is a lot to tell, but yeah. tell us a little bit about you. What you know, what where where did you grow up, etc. Well, I, I thank you very much. It's all very kind of you to say. I know you like to focus on passion and that's great because I I think when we focus on our passions and uh, say yes to what we're passionate about that's when the universe says okay here here you go you're doing what you're passionate about that means you're doing you're fulfilling your purpose you're doing what you're supposed to do so here are the gifts the results and uh, those show up, you know, a lot of people just think it's monetary ways and it, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That can happen. That's part of it. But relationships start to change and relationship with myself starts to change. That's when I start to become courageous and I um, gain confidence. Right. right. Um, right. When I when I do those things and I start to see when I'm working with coaches, uh, when I work with people like um other musicians in recovery uh, and artists, and I start to see the change in them and their eyes light up and their lights start to shine again with Mm. their passion. That in of itself is, I mean, yes, I love to get money from them because it helps me, but seeing their results is just so humbling. And it's like, wow, just to, you know, I didn't do that work. They did the work. I coached them, but to see that I'm like one little small percentage part of that change is very, very humbling and very exciting. And it helps my light shine. I want to shine brighter. Right, right, right. right. You know, they say that helping someone achieving their dream is actually priceless. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's actually priceless. Um, Yeah. So, so, okay. Tell me maybe like more like um, your upbringing. Who who are you as a kid and et cetera? Yeah, um, as a kid, I um, I was very passionate about 
Um, well, I love to tap dance. I love to sing from the age of three. Nice. Um, and I was very passionate about music from a very early age. Even before I started singing, there was a, a song called Mockingbird Hill. My mother would play on the piano or on the organ. And whenever she would start playing, I, in my toddler days, I remember just starting to dance. And that song <laughs> just made me so happy. Um, but there was also, and I should say, not but, and um, my father was uh, a minister. He's retired now, but he was a minister in a uh, evangelical uh, church, Protestant church. Yes. And um, so his... Uh, his theology, um, not just his, but the church we went to, right, was um, very um, conservative. Mm -hmm. And so, which I didn't even really know any different um, until I was like 11 and 10, actually. And I started to realize I'm, I'm gay. And, and that was here in America, there was this lady, uh, named Anita Bryant and in the late 70s she had uh she called them crusades and she was going around you know the the states and telling people that teachers in school there were gay teachers in schools and they were um trying to convert children to be gay and mm. you know just created a lot of fear yes and then there were these minister tv ministers like jerry falwell who was and this was the time like aids started too they were preaching that gays are going to hell and so i i started to see two very different parts there was one part of me that was very passionate about singing and and singing in church and singing for god but, you know, as I'm hitting, like, puberty, I started to realize that I'm gay. And these are two very, what from what I understood then, they were two very separate things. And um, we never talked, you know, I we never talked about sexuality or anything at home. So I was getting all this education and taking in all this information and processing it all alone. And the lesson I was hearing was, God loves you, but you're going to hell. <laughs> and I, I never really, I never understood that. I never understood that. It, um, and uh, so I was finding, I started to live a double life at a very early age, okay. right? Um, which was very good uh, practice to become an addict later in life, living a double life. Um, I say that kind of sarcastically, but it's also very true. Um, and so I was looking, I found that, you know, the I was praying, God, please don't let me be gay. I would pray that every day. Wow. And, um, but then I was acting out. I started acting out sexually because, and I started to look for that validation and um, then by the time I was 16, I was bulimic, mm -hmm. uh, anorexic and bulimic. And, and because I, I just felt like I had no control over my body right. or anything. Right. And so um, I hated myself. Yeah. So I, you know, I was just trying to get some kind of control. Um, I went to Bible college for a year and a half. Um, thought if I become a minister, then I won't be gay. And after wow. a year and a half, I realized that's not the case. Wow. And I came to, I came to a decision that at that time, you know, there were no alternatives. There were, there was no church that was saying, you know, we accept you for the way you are. And I, I didn't know of any. Um, and I moved to Los Angeles and I, I, I was like, I'm going to come out of the closet. And I moved to Los Angeles, which was about 2000 miles away from Ohio, where I grew up. And I started to study commercial music um, in Hollywood um, with some of the Hollywood great composers and uh, musicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I was there, I was 19, I believe, 
Mm, And I I was introduced to cocaine and margaritas on the same Mm. night. (laughs) And that, yeah, so that was... Love at first sight. That was it. Love at first (laughs) sight. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Um, And, you know, I... Soon after, I didn't need to need to be bulimic anymore. I found, you know, it was like, hey, this is, I didn't want to throw up because, mm. you know, I wanted to, I wanted to keep the eye. And uh, so that went on. I mean, my addiction took many different forms over the next 20 years. Um, and during those 20 years, I, um, you know, I came out to my family. Uh, I started to. Um, I, I came out to my family. I started to live an openly as openly gay male. Um, it took a long time for that healing process to take within my family because that challenged every belief that they had, you know, about yes. it, it challenged so many things. How did they react to it mm. first time? Uh, like I said, it's I it it was difficult for them. It was really difficult, you know. It, it was those challenge. Um, but, you know, they, they never, you know, they didn't kick me out. You know, they, 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 yes, they were challenged and we had some very deep discussions and sometimes they were a little louder than others, mm. but, you know, they loved me. And um, so nice. what was funny, not funny, but, ironic or whatever is when people in their church found out i even got a letter from one of their congregants one of the people in their church and it was not a very nice letter and you know that just affirmed that the church is not for me mm-hmm. and okay. um so i i my music always had a very spiritual element to it oh. and you know, the, there was a hole that was left, you know, I kept, I kept pursuing music and kept writing music and, you know, went back to uh, school to, you know, finally get my bachelor's degree of music. And I wrote a musical, I started a recording studio, Wow. you know, I was doing, I had a big band for a while. And, but there was still like this hole with music. And that's, that's where the drug and alcohol alcohol came in you know it was trying to fill that spiritual hole that spiritual gap so i mean like you were doing music and you were doing also you know substances and what mm-hmm. kind of hole are you you were feeling you were feeling with the music you were feeling with the no i was feeling that hole with drugs and alcohol okay 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 that that spiritual hole that i used to have okay you know that i that i um you know, the only way I knew how to fill it was the specific way I was brought up with that church and, you know, understanding that God, that was the only thing that I knew. And I knew that was not real for me. I also came to the belief that no God is going to create something just to send them to hell. I mean, that just doesn't make no sense whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, no. So, um, I mean, that's, that's not a loving God. That's just, uh, you know, yeah. I agree. So I, um, yeah, I, so I, I kind of lost my train of thought. So no, no. once you, okay. You said that you were using these substances to fill up this gap, but yes. you, you said also that that gap was the spiritual kind of, uh, filling gap. That was uh, uh, filled also with music. Yeah, yeah, and um, but the way I used my music before was, you know, also had that spiritual element. I was using it for church. I was using okay. It, yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So there was there was still that that hole, um, and um, when so you know during those years between the ages of 19 and 39, I would get a little bit of musical success and I didn't know how to deal with it or I become afraid of it or, Mm. you know, I was just felt like I didn't deserve it. You know, I really 
didn't even feel like I was deserving to be a good musician. Right. I remember in, in um, college, there was a class, a piano class. And like I said, it, people came from all over the world to study at the school in Hollywood because it was like studying with some of the greatest um, mm -hmm. Hollywood musicians at the time. And I was in a class, a piano class, and all these pianos were fabulous. I'm not, a, I play the piano, but I'm not a concert pianist. I'm not right. a performance pianist. Right. Um, I use piano as a way, a tool for composing. And we'd go around the room and everybody would have their chance to, to play what they've been practicing. And I'm like, oh my God, I am not as good as these people. So when it came my turn, I would fake anxiety attacks. Mm, I'd be wow. like, oh no, I can't do it. I'm just having <laughs> fake, like I'm hyperventilating and stuff. And that way I, I wouldn't have to perform in front of everyone. Mm, mm. I didn't feel like I was good enough, but I, I also felt like because there was still that self-hate right. and the misunderstanding of who I was that I didn't feel like I was worthy of being a good musician. I didn't feel right. like I was worthy as of being of good of them. Right, right. Okay. So that went on for, you know, I'd have these up and downs for 20 years. Um, and my drugs changed from co cocaine to crack, alcohol, marijuana. Um, and then I found crystal meth. Mm. And crystal meth, I thought it was my cure for alcoholism. Um, I, you know, because I had dealt with uh, depression over the, all these years, you know, what I was, yes. it was just very depressing. Right. And, and I was crystal meth. I, w I didn't feel depressed. And I didn't even want to smoke pot anymore. And there was a day, things really took a turn when I was 35 or 36. And I had a recording studio in the loop, uh, the business district, downtown Chicago. And there was a day I was leaving my drug dealer's house and I'm in a cab going home and outside it's an autumn day. The sky is like clear, clear blue and the sun is shining on these leaves golden yellow and bright orange and red is just so beautiful. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at it and I'm taking it all in. And my thought is I'm going to close my recording studio and become a crystal meth dealer. Whoa. That was wow. right. I mean, <laughs> we, we talk about how a thought can change your life and it's wow. very true. Wow. And, um, I, what really changed was I took action on that. I abandoned my recording studio. I left okay. it. I didn't even go pick up my stuff for months until my studio okay. partner was like, you got to come and get your stuff or I'm throwing it away. But I just abandoned it. And I started um, using crystal meth full time. Full time. And I did wow. that for three years. Three. I went to rehab once during that time. I had a partner. Um, we were together seven years. And we separated um, when he found out I was um, when he found out I was <laughs> dealing crystal meth. Right. He was like, "No." Um, and I went to rehab, hope you know, trying to save our relationship, but it didn't. He didn't want to come to like couples counseling or anything, so I left. I was there. I checked myself out, and I moved into a house with other crystal meth dealers. Okay. okay. So that went on for three years. And the whole time, my depression just kept spiraling down and further and further and further. The drugs weren't working anymore. I had to use more and more. Um, and it just became a very depressing scene. Um, How was making you feel? Because every addiction is more like addicted to the feeling, right? So how was that addiction uh, were making you feel? Crystal meth in the beginning makes yeah. one feel uh, uh, invincible. Mm. It makes okay. one feel, um, it releases all your inhibitions. Okay. And that's why 
so many people who are addicted to crystal meth, whether it's male, female, gay, straight, bi, whatever, so many people addicted to crystal meth become so sexually active mm. because it, in, in the beginning, it like increases, it not only increases that drive, but it releases all inhibitions. So um, that that's a big part of the, of the story for a lot of people. Okay. Okay. And during that time, um, I contracted HIV mm-hmm. and uh, that's a difficult story to tell, but I will say what happened um, would not have happened if I wasn't high. If, if I okay. wasn't high, the the incident that happened would not have happened. Okay. Um, okay. And that's my part um, of taking responsibility for it. Um. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a whole different story. Okay. A whole different. All right, all right. That's fine. But that's I can fine. say, I can say, and because when we're in recovery, and no matter if you're in recovery or not, if you want to, if you want to take responsibility of your life, you have to take responsibility for terrible things that happen. Not that um, if somebody commits a crime against you, it does not mean that what they did was wrong. It's a crime, right? It's, but my role is I was high. Mm. And if I was high, I would not have been putting myself in bad situations. Right, right. And um, it doesn't make anything less or anything less criminal, right? But I have to, I just have to do that. And when I come to that point, I'm able to, um, find forgiveness for myself like yeah you know because no matter what most of the time when something bad happens to us we love to blame ourselves right we'll find a way to make it you know you know what did i do to deserve this right that is blaming ourselves and what did i do to deserve this and um so just taking the responsibility and yeah. a lot of times people will even say, yeah, bad things happened to me when I was a kid. Yes, they did. And, you know, it would be criminal and um, and it's not right. But taking responsibility for now means you're replaying that story over and over in your head. Right. That's, That's so taking true. responsibility for that is I don't I yes, I need a therapist. I need to work through this. That's taking responsibility for it and then being able to get to a point of um, whatever you need to do to resolve it. Um, forgiveness, forgiveness of my, you know, forgiveness of myself for holding on to this pain for so many years. Yes. And so that's, that's so important. Right. Um, right. And you took responsibility. <laughs> so, I mean, like, no, I can't. I can't even imagine. How did you get out of that very, very dark hole? I mean, how did you? I mean, you were really deep in there, right? I so, was because there was a point where you know I was I was dealing, and I would have um, I would have people over. They were buying drugs, and then they were having sex in the other room, right? And it became, <laughs> I mean, crazy. Um, crazy sex party stories. I would be in the other room feeling lonely, curled up on the couch. And I'm, and my thought was, I don't want to have sex anymore. I want to be held. Mm. I want to be held. And I, it was such a lonely place. And I had one morning I woke up and I thought, let's, this is the day the pain ends. I was 39 and I thought, you're almost 40. It's just, this is too, too painful. Just go jump in front of the L, which here in Chicago is what we call the subway, the L. And right. um, that thought was, I had thought of suicide before, many times in my life. But it was, they were like thoughts, like, I wish I were dead. Or... You know, it was, and then I would, but I didn't act on it, right? This time was like the first time was like, go 
do this. This is what you're going to do, and you're going to do it today. And having that plan, making that plan, which I'd never done, was scary. I mean, there was something in my head that was, yes, this thought is so real. You could act on this and make this real. But there was just something in that thought and the fear and and knowing it was not right to take that action for me mm-hmm. that stimulated this thought process of skip you're you're 39 you're almost 40 and you've messed up 20 years of your life anything good you've self sabotaged you've given it away just go do it and at that moment, I thought, well, wait, wait, if we've messed up the last 20 years, what if we do something the next 20 years to make up for all that time lost or to do something better? And then you'll only be 60 and 60 is not that old anymore. And wow, you could live to be 80. <laughs> and that blew my mind. Yeah. That blew my mind because I'd never seen my life past 40 and never visualized it past 40 and here is the thought that came to me that changed everything your life doesn't have to be over it could be half over (laughs) and i remember that clearly because i'm i'm a lyricist i'm a poet right and that line just it's so poetic your life doesn't have to be over it can be half over And that was the thought that changed everything. And I took action and I got up and I called um, my um, partner who I was separated with um, and said I needed help. And he called my parents and they got it all organized. So I got to go to rehab. And this time it worked because I wanted to go for me. I didn't want to go to save a relationship. I didn't want to go to... I did it because I wanted to, because I wanted to live. Amazing. And um, when I got to rehab, um, there was this poster on the wall about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's, you know, that's just about every rehab center you go, it's on the wall. And I had gone to um, a 12 step program when I was 21. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew I had a problem then. Right. But I saw there is um, the word God in these in these steps. Like the uh, the first step is we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. Check. I knew that Um, we came to believe that a higher power, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And like, uh, okay, maybe. And then the third one is we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And that's where I was like, no, thank you very much. I yeah. uh, I know what that means. Turn my will and my life over to God. I tried that. It doesn't work. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, but now when I went to rehab, you know, I, I look back on it in that moment when I had that thought, your life doesn't have to be over. It could be half over. I see that as the gift of desperation, G-O-D, gift of desperation. That was like, that was, uh, you know, when we become, I don't want anybody ever to feel that desperate, but sometimes that's what it takes for us to to seek help. I read on the wall for the first time, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And that is, Andrea, that's uh, underlined and italicized on, uh, right? As we understood him. And I yes. never read that before. Um, I mean, I read it, but it never clicked. Never clicked. Yeah, never synced in. Yeah. With the desperation. And the, now I had an open mind and I read that and I was like, wait a minute. The, the God of my understand, the God of my understanding, nobody's ever asked me that before. Nobody's ever asked me what, because if they would have asked me, I would have told them, 
you know, this, all this stuff that I grew up with that I was being taught that I don't right. believe that's, that's not what I understand. So, Oh, I don't have to, I don't have to believe that to get sober. And it was, it gave me permission to have a relationship with a higher power, mm. you know, that gave me permission. And so the first thing I did, I, the first thing I said, well, I never understood how God could be a man. And I just, no. So I'm changing it to, I turn my wife, my, my wife, no, I turn my life <laughs> and my will over to the care of God as I understand God and just, mm. just left it at that. And uh, as was your personal understanding and what is your personal understanding about God? That, you know, that changes every day. Mm, that changes every day. That, a little bit, you know, it's, I have, I, you know, we're learning so much right. in, about this universe. Right. And, you know, now I, I look at not so much of what my understanding is, but what my understanding is not. And mm. I, I know that for for many years I had a god of my misunderstanding, and um, I know now that there is not some being that creates people to send them to hell. Right? Definitely I don't not. believe that. No. Um, I I believe there is a force that created this universe. And it's ever expanding. I don't think we're the only ones in this universe, you know, as much as we're finding it. I mean, everyone knows that we're out there searching for more life, right? Of course, yeah. And so then it doesn't make sense to but God and my misunderstanding, right? It doesn't make sense to me that God would, that there would be a, a person to come to earth to save earth. Well, does that person go to every other world in the universe to save them too? <laughs> So you know, it's obviously it's, another person then. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's so are we are we the ones that are messed up in all the other worlds or whatever? They're, they're like perfect. You know, I, I don't know the answer to these questions and I don't need to know. Of course, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. I don't I don't need to know. And someday they some of this more stuff will be revealed. I mean, that's one of the interesting things I think when uh, when we finally do find other uh, intelligent life in the universe, what are what are their beliefs, right? And uh, I love, I'm a Doctor Who fan. I, I, I love Doctor Who and how, um, are you, do you know? Yes, yes, I know Doctor Who, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw the, just on the movies, just so, because of the movies, yeah. not because of the, I don't know, whatever comic or. Uh, yeah, the yeah the last the last ten years they since they put out the new Doctor Who I've I I love them and. <laughs> but he travels and or she um, they uh, um, travels to different parts of the universe in different times and different worlds and uh, it's fun to see like on these different planets that there are people with different beliefs and spiritual right. beliefs and practices. Um, anyway, I digress. That's no, no, no. That's still, I, I guess, you know, I believe in science and I believe science and spirituality go hand in hand. I believe in the power of metaphysics. I believe in the power of manifestation. I've been talking to you about one thought can change our life when we right. take action. There is a spiritual element to that. Right, right. You know, there there is a spiritual element of, um, you know, people call it the law of attraction. I think that's making it too simple. And, and you know, it's got a, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about that too, because thoughts don't bring about things, thoughts with action. Right. Anything. Yes, yes, absolutely. You um, know, we have to do our part, but it does begin with thoughts. It does begin with thoughts, yeah. Yeah, um, I probably probably the 
the material world, what you see, what you're going to touch on the material kind of the matter yeah. that materialize has to bring, has to be brought up by action as well. But maybe mm-hmm. what it explained this law, law of attraction, love of uh, cause and effect, whatever you want to call it, is probably with thoughts, maybe something's happening that we are not aware, that our eyes are not aware yet. Maybe starting something with the thoughts through vibration. And I think you actually mentioned the universe. So it's probably, you know, yes, is really is about this energy. It's not like a guy who is trying to, you know, to pull the strings here and there. It's just like, an energy, an right. energy that is not, you know, not judging. It's just there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? And yeah. We, we get to decide how to use that energy. It's just like our right. creativity. And I, I get into this with my clients. It's like, we have the choice. We're all creative beings. Mm-hmm. And this is very much a part of my spirituality here. Uh, whatever created this universe created our solar system and that solar system created earth and earth created us and we are an extension of that creativity and everything we do every day we are creating you make Mm -hmm. dinner you create it right you go you go do your job you're creating uh your resources you're you know um you i i want to make music i'm creating the music um, and so we have the we have the choice of how we use that creativity, and we could create negative space. We could create um, now. I do, so I have a bipolar disorder. So when I say this, I do believe there are medical reasons, right? Um, so I'm not when I say we create depression. Um, I think there are times we do create it. Um, now that I have a diagnosis, I can continue to allow the depression be created, or I can choose to go to a doctor and get some professional help from therapist right. and medication. Right. So I'm creating health that way, right? right. Our diagnosis, um, our diagnosis are sometimes, uh, th- what I see them is, because I, I said I have HIV, I have a bipolar disorder. I have addiction, and I think it's very important to understand that um, I am not these things. Mm, I am but, not these things. No. I have these things. Yes. These are part of my human experience. Right. But my my higher being, my creativity is greater than these. Yes. Um, and so can you share who is? I'm curious about it. Can you share who is who you are? Who are you? Not what you have, but who are you? Oh, who am I? Um, I am a man. I identify as man. I'm gay, right? Um, I am a musician. Uh, I want to be to the point where I am music. You know, it's my mm. my logo is nice. the music. Right. Because, you know, the music flows through me as me. Right. Um, so... Um, now I am a coach, right? So there are, there are so many, I'm, I'm a son. I'm, I am so many things. The, the important thing to remember for what creates our present and what creates our future, the beginning of that creation is the words we put after I am. So you know, that's why I became very aware of like when I used to say I am bipolar. No, no I am not. I am not a mental illness. <laughs> I have, I have, yes. right, right, and, right. And, and it's being managed and I'm really not even ill right now. The doctors call it, I looked in my charts, it's called remission, just like when you're in remission from cancer or whatever. Mm. Right now I'm in remission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I need checkups, so forth. Um, like, it's I I am not HIV. In fact, right now it's undetectable. There is so little of the virus that the doctors can't even see it in my system. Cool. 
And again, I'm, I'm co-creating that with medication and treatment. But so I am by doing that, I am saying, no, you are not, I am not this. And, um, I see all these things as, you know, if we're on our journey of life and we, we have an intention of this is where I want to be, even if we're not fully clear on it, um, we we're set in a certain direction. Yeah. And if we are, once we're traveling down life has its, you know, it has its moments where we have to pull off of the highway and go get gas. We have to refuel. There are times where the car breaks down and we have to get home and get towed. And, you know, we have to go uh, get the the brakes fixed. It's just like, Mm -hmm. okay, there are times we get sick. The ambulance has to come and it has to take us to the hospital and we get fixed. Right. So there's so many good analogies for um, this. So when we have a diagnosis, it's not the end of life. It's a road sign saying, please exit here. Right. You know, exit here get it fixed, you know, do what you need to do and then get back on the road and continue Yes, with yes. this, with this new stuff. So um, that's, that goes into more of also, you know, I, and as into my spiritual elements as well, you know, I mean, uh, people talk about how God heals. Well, I believe that creativity within us creates health. So does medication. Medication is a miracle. It's all these things that we're learning. The the COVID vaccine, it's a miracle, Mm -hmm. right? How many people would be dead today and continue to die if we didn't start to have that? Um, And I know that's controversial for some people, but that's my belief. That's okay. um, okay. And I look at it the same. Look how many people... The millions of lives that have been saved for I've been I've had HIV for 18 years. Wow. 18 years. And I, you know, I when I when it first came out and and when it first started and I was a youngster, there were many men who had it and they didn't even make it 18 months. And I saw that over and over. So I know what a miracle it is. And I'm grateful for that. Amazing. Amazing. Very, very nice, very touching, very beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being so transparent. Yeah. Thank you for being so honest. Really, really amazing. A hero. <laughs> oh, and uh, you're kind. You you mentioned about creativity. So so, uh, let's say you got healthier, and you came out, and then you became a coach because you mentioned that your passion is really to help artists to bring back their creative side in themselves right okay so tell me about creativity i mean what's creativity really and why do we have those moments where we all have even myself where i don't know we we get into this black hole of being non-creative and we don't know how to get out of it we want to be creative, but we don't know how to. So how do you help people with that? Well, when we say there's a block, mm-hmm. right? There's an artistic block. We are creating that block. Okay. Um, and I understand it. I get there. I still get there. You know, the thing is to have the tools to begin to, to start to work out of it. When I first got sober, I could not play the piano. I could not sing. I, I I used to say I lost those skills. Um, but not looking back, taking responsibility. And I even told you I did not I did not <laughs> lose my recording studio. I abandoned it, right? I right. abandoned my music just as I abandoned my friends, my family, my partner. Um, I, I abandoned my music career. I abandoned it. So when I first got clean. Uh, and sober, I I couldn't play the piano, I couldn't sing, and I thought I would never be able to do it again. Um, but I had to be okay with that at that point, because yes. uh, I wanted to live, and that was the most important thing. And even though I hated myself for giving up music, I needed another source of creativity. Mm-hmm. So I started taking 
art classes at a community college, even though I had my degree, but I wasn't doing it for grades. I was doing it for fun um, and learning. And I was able to do something without judging it if I, you know, um, cause I'd never done it before. So it was just all fun. Okay. And because it was school though, I was getting grades and those grades, the professors were giving me very gratuitous D's, you know, <laughs> not F's, but D's and, <laughs> um, and, uh, but over the year, over the course of the first year, I started to get my grades got better and better and better. And, um, I was like a, a B's mostly, maybe one or two A's. But the important thing is that I started to improve doing something I didn't even know about. Um, I started taking stained glass classes. I mean, I loved it. And it was awesome. Cut my fingers a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so that taught me that if I could take something I don't even know anything about and improve, why can't I do that with music? Mm. So I pulled out my um, scale books, my beginning piano books, and like what we teach like elementary students. And right. I started playing again. And I retaught myself. Uh, then I went to grad school and uh, for composition. And I couldn't sing at that point, but it was like, I can still write. I can compose. And I'm not a great concert pianist, but that's not the thing. I can write again. And I started scoring film when I got out of that, um, writing music for film. Wow. I went to uh, talk about manifestation. I went to uh, New York for a year and a half and studied with one of the best teachers in the world. That's a crazy manifestation story. I'm going to oh, tell it really quick because it's please. a miracle. Please. I love those. I Once I, once I finished my uh, um, graduate degree and I started a master's degree and started scoring film, I was taking this prosperity class at um, um, the spiritual center where I worked. And it was about, it was about, I don't want to say the law of attraction, but it was about how to use our spiritual energy to create for the good. And we were supposed to do what to call is a vision board. And, um, but it was not supposed to be about things we want to have, but who we want to be. And to just be able to start to vision, who do we want to be? And, I said, I, I already am who I want to be, right? I'm sober. I just graduated. I got my master's. I'm scoring film. I am who I want to be. I love who I am today. And the teacher was, go deeper. And uh, I remembered someone saying once, who did you, you know, your passion comes from, who did you want to be when you were five or 10 years old? Mm-hmm. Think about that. If you want to know what you're passionate about and you don't know, just think about that. And I I had a very vivid memory of at five wanting to take tap classes. And when I was about three and four, I would, my mom would take my sisters to ballet class and the class before them was tap. And I'd always tug on my mom's uh, shirt and say, I want to do that. I want to do that. <laughs> uh, I want to tap. And she would tell me, she'd put up her hand showing all five fingers and say, when you are five. So I thought that's, I want to be a tap dancer. That's something I want to be. So I went home and I put, um, I looked for a picture on the internet of a tap dancer that I associated with. So I looked for Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, and I've, none of the pictures fit right. And then there was this picture. It was a modern tap dancer and he had this straw hat and this suit, and he was just very quirky and very joyful. And mm. that's what I want. I want that energy. That's who I want to be. So uh, I cut the picture out, and I um, cut a picture out of my face, and I put my face on that on that man's body, and I put it by my picture or by my computer, and it was there for five months. For and um, then I decided, you know, I'm going to move to a bigger apartment. I was still in my grad school apartment, so nobody could fit in but me. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea that I would I would put my stuff in storage and go to New York for a month in between apartments and just you know see what it's like. And wow, if I go to New York for a month, I could take some adult tap classes. So I looked up adult tap classes, New York City, and up came the American Tap Dance Foundation. And I clicked on adult classes. 
And there was the picture that had been on my wall for five months. No way. Wow. And that was Tony Vogg. <laughs> and I went and I studied with him for over a year and a half. Wow. With the guy on the picture, right? With the guy in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And that, so that's, to me, that is, a, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. Right. That, that is way too much to be a coincidence. But it's that something. Is, yes. Yes. Definitely. There is something. Yeah. 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 That I drew that my energy and that, and that came about, this is what I learned from that. It came about of not trying to get what I want to have. It came about of who do I want to be? Beautiful. Yes. Who do I want to be? Because everything, if we focus on who I want to be, the things that we need to have will show up to fulfill mm. the needs. Right. And the experiences that we need to have to become who we want to be will show up. That's right. Amazing. That's the, the greatest lesson I got from that. And yeah. So, before, yeah. You know, I, then I got back into music. No, I just wanted to After that, ask you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Just one last question. How was he as a teacher? Amazing. All right. Okay. Amazing. And during COVID, I actually got to take a class with him again, you know, because nice. of, um, because of zoom. Um, yeah, amazing. I got a lot of, and actually I'm working on it right now because I'm doing a Kickstarter. I'm, I'm going to do a new album this next year and I'm doing oh, a wow. Kickstarter project. Right. Um, and I'm using part of that story for my Kickstarter film. So, um, looking forward to it. And, you know, I got to tell you my first tap lesson, my first tap recital, Mm -hmm. um you know for this and it was for the school so every class you know did a dance david bowie was on the front row <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Plus right. his, daughter took, his daughter took classes at the same school oh so, holy but holy. all these experiences that i had you know started to continue i i'm been on some in some professional shows acting musical shows here in Chicago I had a band um you know a lot of different things have happened I started teaching um and so music started to show up in many different ways mm, okay. and all of these experiences um and I and I had a lot of people in recovery and so forth they were coming to me and talking to me and um about their journey and wanted some help and so forth. Like, how do they, how do they do what I've, what I've done? Right. And that's where I like, I need to become a coach. I want to be a coach um, because mm -hmm. I enjoy helping people do this. Mm -hmm. um, but I also very respectful of the coaching profession so i went back to the university of miami for a year and got certified as a coach and studied mm -hmm. with people who were coaching for like 30 years mm -hmm. and uh so now i'm a certified coach by the university of miami and um the international uh, federation of coaches mm -hmm. and uh now i help musicians you know i have 16 years of experience of going through this and so i help other musicians and artists um, do this and I do that uh, through group uh, group coaching sessions mm -hmm. um, I do some individual but it's it's a lot more fun when there's a group of people working together because um, they get to inspire one another and then you know finding other sober musicians is not always easy okay so it opens up that door as well so that they can have um... so I have one program it's called making amends with your muse um, okay. because, um, you know, we think about, you know, when I came back to music, when I found rediscovered music, it's just like, a, I have a relationship with music, mm -hmm. just like I have a relationship, a love relationship or a relationship with my parents, relationship with my friends. My relationship with music is a very spiritual element. It's a living energy and, I had to make an amends to that. I abandoned it. 
I abandoned my relationship. Right. Music never left me. <laughs> I left it. Mm -hmm. So there is a process that I have to go through to, um, and that I did, and I still do. It's, you know, I still have to, um, when I feel like I don't want to practice, that's like saying, I don't feel like seeing my friends. I'm not going to, I'm just going to ghost them. You know, I'm not going to talk to anyone um, because I don't, I don't feel pretty today or, you know, I, but my friends want to hang out. No, I don't, I don't feel, and I keep doing that. Yeah. Um, so with music, if I don't feel like practicing one day, music doesn't care if I suck. My piano doesn't care. It's it's not going to stop playing, allowing me to play it because I'm not playing well that day. Mm -hmm. It's just really glad that I'm playing. Right, right. It's just like our friends don't care if you know if we if we are not showered. They want to hang out with us. Yes, right. I'm not going to hang out with you today. You didn't take a shower. <laughs> um. So, but that's that's just one element of making amends. I mean, there's some really deep work in that. I didn't believe I was worthy of being a musician for so many years. Is that me or is that music? Right. No, that was me. That's that was, so true. Know. It's so good to actually to distinguish the two. Mm -hmm. You know, music is always there waiting for you if you want it. It's you. It's just you. For example, actually, I have this guitar now and it's been like three months because I've been putting you know, for next year, next year, next year. And then I decided this year to really go for it. So I bought this guitar and um, it's been like three months. But sometimes I'm really like, I do it every day. I try to put myself in there every day, but I mm -hmm. know I should give a little bit more, more time. For example, I do half an hour a day. I should do at least an hour a day to actually really get in it. So, how do I, how do I get there? Because as soon as I think about an hour, I feel like, ah, oh, God, no. Um, I don't no, feel motivated. Like, that is, um, you're setting yourself up for failure by saying, mm -hmm. I should do this for a half hour a day. Because you're, right. watching the, you're watching the clock and not spending the five minutes that you have. You're... You know, if you have five minutes to spend with uh, your lover mm. and that's it, are you going to spend those five minutes going, um, I need, I need an hour or are you going to spend those five minutes like in deep connection and talking oh, and, and holding each other and, you know, spending that five minutes with that connection. Right. Because so, when you have that connection, you know, then you'll want more. Mm -hmm. Then you want more. If you're if you're trying to connect with time, you're not going to connect. Oh, that's a good one. So good. Very so nice. So your five yes. minutes a day. When I uh, there was a when I first started playing ukulele, I started playing the ukulele when I moved to New York because I couldn't carry a piano on my back. Yes. So I, I picked up an ukulele. <laughs> And there was, you know, my fingers weren't used to stretching out. My fingers were used to, uh, you know, just going up and down the keyboard. Um, so there was, and my pinky, the pinkies on, could not work at all. And there was one line in a, in a, in a, in a song that I was writing that I needed and I needed my pinky to stretch out a couple of frets. Okay. I spent just trying to get that. And building that relationship with my pinky and the and the instrument and what I was hearing in my head and just getting all of that to connect and focusing on that. I put together, I realized it took me 80 hours probably. Wow. When I wow. when I look back, because I would just sit there for hours and just trying to get that one little tiny lick. And what I learned from that was I I think, you know, you get lost in time when you're really connecting on a spiritual level. That's, and, yeah, go ahead. And that's, again, music, my muse, it's very spiritual. It's part of whatever created 
This universe is an extension through me. And what a privilege. And if we are not giving that, we are not fulfilling uh, the will of creation. Beautiful. Beautiful. It is. And so a lot of times you were asking about the block earlier. Yes. A lot of times the block is it's our ego, mm. right? My ego does not tell me, oh, Skip, you're so great. My ego tells me I'm a piece of shit and that I'm not worthy of being a musician. Because if I connect with, my ego wants to be in control. And if I connect with music, then I'm letting go of the ego. Mm. And I'm connect, and it doesn't like that. So if I get inspired, no, you don't want to connect with spirit. No, no, I want to be in control. Our ego comes off in, to trying to look like we're the best and it acts like we're the best, but it does it, uh, you know, and that's where people are like, they see it and they're like, that's so egotistical that, um, but the, it, it comes off uh, egotistical when we are acting like we're the best. Right. But that's because we have to act it. We don't have to, but our ego has to act it because we have not put in the spiritual connection. When it's a spiritual connection and people perform, you see it. You see it. And we don't, they don't need to be told they're great. Mm, they're in that zone, right? They're in that zone. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. why we practice. We practice to how allow spirit to come through. Mm, that's a big one we practice how to allow spirit to come through mm -hmm. wow yeah just like i practice you know i still when i sit down to play even one of my own songs if i'm playing in front piano in front of the audience i don't have stage fright i can get up and sing and no problem i can even play the ukulele now in front of people no problem why do i have that problem when i play piano Because I practiced anxiety attacks when I'm at the piano. Okay. When I was in college, I practiced anxiety attacks. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Incredible. Great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, so, one few last things. In, I know that your mission is to help 10,000 musicians yep. share their light and hope of recovery through 10,000 recording and 100,000 performances by 2030. How are you yeah. going to achieve that? Um, so I work, you know, I work with groups right. and I also uh, um, speak and I have, I'm developing some online courses. So I don't do that by one-on-one, -on -one, right? That's, that's impossible. Right. Um, But I can do that through the, the groups, um, through uh, speaking and um, inspiring people to like, hey, okay, I'm going to get over the fear. Um, I'm going to let go of ego and I'm going to practice putting music into a spiritual element. And that is going to lead me to record and it's going to lead me to perform and That's the message. And if I can touch 10,000 people, then that, that's my goal. And how do I keep track of that? Um, I have for my current clients, they let me know when they're recording. Um, sure. I have not put together that part on my website yet, but I'm definitely going to do that uh, where people submit and that we just collect a library of people We're not judging whether it's good or bad. We're celebrating that people have done something. Here is the song. Uh, let everybody else hear it. And uh, and then the same with the performances. Super. You know, if somebody gets up and just does one song that they've never done before, and they go to uh, the uh, um, singer-songwriter um, acoustic set, you know, down at the local coffee shop, And they do a song. Great. That's a performance. They wouldn't have done it before. Beautiful. Great. Yeah. What are the three things you're grateful for? 
three things I'm grateful for being sober, mm -hmm. um, having the gift of music, um, having back in my life, having mm -hmm. that relationship uh, restored. And uh, I am grateful for um, the friends and family that um, have allowed me to um, have allowed me to reestablish re that relationship. Um, one more. I'm grateful for my cat. Nice. My cat's bats. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, during COVID, um, I live alone. Um, he's, he's my roommate. And it was so nice during COVID to have another heartbeat in the house. Yes, it is. It is especially, yeah, with COVID and madness, at least, at least, you know, <laughs> yeah, with somebody who is just careless, chill, relaxed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so absolutely where people can find you um skip sam if you remember the name skip sams s-k-i-p-s-a-m-s -S uh, i have skipsams.com uh, you can find me on facebook um at skip sams that's where we found each other that's right. where i do most of my social media still um on um you can look me up on Instagram. I'm sober on stage in Instagram. Okay. And I do have a coaching website. It's www.mysuccess.coach. Okay. Mysuccess.coach. Not dot the other. I don't even want to say it because people get confused. <laughs> Mysuccess.coach. Okay. We Anyway, we're going to put all the links down below and uh, so that people can follow through them. Awesome. Anyway, Sam, yeah, Skip, <laughs> yeah, Skip, it was an amazing, amazing conversation. I mean, like, uh, it was just incredible to go through your life, or most of it at least. And uh, you are a really, really inspiring human being with a strength of a lion, probably, because, you know, after so many years of going through what you've going through, what you've been through, you know, <laughs> you know, it's incredible. It's incredible what you have done and who you became. So really, thank you. Thank you for, for all of it. Thank you for sharing and thank you for helping, you know, other artists and people to actually, uh, become the best version that they could possibly be. And so let's say inspired others too. Grazie. <laughs> Grazie mille. Yeah. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao. All right.